0: Take your Bibles back to John chapter 13. In John chapter 13 and verse 15, Jesus said, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And so the title of our sermon this morning is Jesus, the greatest example. The truth is we all have examples in our life, people that we look up to and people that we emulate. Many of our Uh, mannerisms and the things that we do, we've learned from other people. I had an uncle uh, growing up that was four years older than me, and I wanted to be just like him. And so I dressed like him, I talked like him, I acted like him. Everything that he did, I thought was the greatest thing in the world. And so I wanted to, to be that and do that. Now, I grew out of that a little over the years, but I'm sure that still of some of what I learned from him is a part of, uh, unfortunately, who I am today. Um, but you know, it's not just our outward uh, actions and activities, the things that we do that we learn from others, but many times the way we think, uh, we often pick up from others. You know, our parents, a lot of what we think and believe, uh, we learn from, from our parents. And for those of you that are parents here today or going to be parents, uh, that should be sobering. I saw uh, somebody post, and and if this was you, I'm sorry. I don't know who posted it. I saw it online somewhere uh, this week that I want my daughter to act like a lady, but I also want her to know that she can throat punch somebody if she needs to. And, um, you know, I don't know that that's a biblical statement right there. I, you know... Oftentimes, you know, we we teach our kids things like that by the way that we talk, the way that we act, uh, things that we say in front of them. Um, A lot of you, you'll get on to your kids for the way they drive, but the truth is they drive the way they do because it's the way you drive. Um, You know, your kid gets behind the wheel and they start yelling at other drivers. I'm assuming you probably yelled at other drivers um, throughout the years when they were, um, you know... Sitting in the back seat watching you. A lot of times, uh, you know, we, we justify it in front of our children. You know, I know this isn't right, but. And so, guess what your kids do? I know this isn't right, but, you know, if you can justify your sin, then they can justify their sin. And, and so, our, our kids pick up a lot of what they believe uh, from us, whether it's good or unfortunately, a lot of times it's bad. Our kids pick up a lot from their friends. Uh, who they're associated with, and uh you know the um the influences that that they have, you know, and so, um, you know, it's very important that we know who's influencing our children, and what kind of people that they're they're around, and you say, well, you know, my kid is going to be the influencer. Yeah, we all tell ourselves that, all right, Um, and they might be the influencer, and hopefully they are influencing other people for the good, but the truth is, is they're going to be influenced as well, Um, right, wrong, or indifferent. It's going to, it's going to happen, and so we have to be very guarded, and listen, if you're here today and you're a kid or a teenager or something like that and you, you know you get mad because your parents you know don't like your friends or they talk to you about the type of people you should be around you should be thankful for that because who you are around is influencing the type of person uh, that you're going to be and if you're around people and influenced by people that are ungodly or don't hold the biblical truths guess what that is going to play a part in your your very own development you should be thankful for parents that care about the influences that are in your life. Another influence that 's tragic in our world today is is society itself. Uh, you know You should not let your kid just you know have the television and watch whatever they want or go on the internet and be in whatever YouTube channel or whatever programs they want because those things are going to have influences uh, on your children it 's going to help mold and make them uh, into the adults that they 're going to be and it 's going to impact the way that they think and so it's very important that we understand these realities and that we have the right examples in our life and we make sure that our children have the right examples and that we are uh, the right examples you know for us to simply say well you know um, i'm just a sinner and i'm dealing with these things guess what so are your children and, and so is your spouse, and so are the other people in your life that you're influencing. You know, for you to justify your sinfulness, um, you know, and just say, well, this is who I am, um, that might be who you are, but that's not who you have to be in Jesus Christ. And we know that. And so be very careful um, about who you're allowing to influence, but you, but how you are influencing others as well. We all need the right examples in our life, those that are following biblical principles. Now here in John chapter thirteen, we have Jesus, the greatest example, and he's going to illustrate some important truths to his his disciples. And the, the illustration that he starts off with here in these chapters is about showing true love. In first John chapter three verse eighteen the Bible says My little children let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And and listen, we know, and it's become a trite statement, it's easy to say you love somebody, but you have to show it. And really, love should be seen by our actions. Jesus has left his, his public ministry, and he's really just hours before he will be arrested, ultimately tried, and then crucified for the sins of the world. But in chapters 1 through 12, we've had the public ministry of Jesus proving that he truly is the son of God. And when we come to chapter 13 through chapter 17, we have what is commonly known as the upper room discourse. And Jesus is going to give some last instructions to his disciples. And here in chapter 13, he doesn't start with a lecture. He doesn't start with some story or some, um, you know, some vocal or verbal lesson but he's going to illustrate love through action. He's going to illustrate through his very own actions before before them. And he's gonna teach them some things. He's gonna teach them that life is, is not about me. You know, your kids need to learn that. And if every situation in life, it's all about you, guess what, they're gonna believe they're the center of the universe. If every time you are wronged, you are upset because you were wronged and you never had consideration for the other people, your children are going to believe that. But Jesus wants them to understand this life is not about me, it's, it's not about my comfort. It's not about me having the easiest life possible or even the easiest time in this situation. It's not about me being served. Now that's what the world teaches, and that's the society that we live in, that, that you should seek to be served, you should seek to be number one, you should seek to, to, to be better than everything else, but contrary to that is what the Bible teaches when it says we are to, in honor, prefer, or esteem others better than ourselves now that's contrary to the flesh and to our sinfulness but that is what God expects and so Jesus here as he's with his disciples he's going to teach them it's not about me it's not about my comfort it's not about me being served it's not even about me getting my way it's not about me getting my way all the time And and that's what we strive for in this world, and that's what we expect from other people is for us to to get our way, but rather he is talking to them and and going to illustrate them that my life is about serving God and serving others. You know, one of the great pictures you're going to see here is Jesus says, you know, Father, take this cup from me. Listen, I I don't want to go through the suffering and the sacrifice, but... I'll do it because I want your will. I want your will to be done. And so we'll see over the next several chapters, Christ is willing to be beaten and scourged, to have his beard plucked out of his face, to have a crown of thorns placed on his head, to ultimately be whipped with the the cat of nine tails, to ultimately go to the cross and give his life. Because he wanted to serve God and serve others. Of course, he's been saying that from the beginning. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to, to minister and to give his life a ransom. Jesus came to, to seek and to save the lost. He came, he came to serve. And, and so he's been with his disciples now for some three years, or some three years in his earthly ministry. And he's been walking with them and trying to show this and live it out. And so now he has this personal, intimate time. Personal, intimate time with his disciples. And more than ever before, he's going to to, to, to show them and to put the emphasis on the fact that, listen, this life has not been about me. And guess what? As I leave, you're going to be my disciples and my servants, and this life can't be about you. And so today, as we see the greatest example from Jesus himself, I want you to understand, that we'll never be the Christian that God wants us to be if we're selfish in in every situation. It's about me. It's about getting my way. I'm always going to be right. I'm going to prove my point. I'm going to put you down. I don't care if I have to hurt your feelings. I just want you to know that I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you. I'm greater than you, or whatever else you want to put in there. If that's our mindset, we're never going to be the Christian that God wants us to be. And we're never going to be able to serve God in the way that God wants us to serve him. And this is why I think Jesus is teaching them this here. Because here, in just a week, Christ is going to be crucified. In just a little while, he's going to ascend back to heaven. And, and, and he's going to send his Holy Spirit to dwell within them and to, to, to walk with them here in this world. But they're going to have to go through some things. They're going to have to go through some trials. They're going to have to, some of them are even going to be put to death for their faith in Christ and for their service for God. And if they don't get this truth right here, if they don't get this truth right here, they're not going to be able to do the things that God wants them to do. And listen, it would never have been said of them. If they did not learn these principles, it would never have been said of them that they turned the world upside down for the cause of the gospel for the cause of Christ. And you know, the sad truth is, is there are many Christians in our world today who haven't figured this out. They go to church and they go through the activity, but there's so much that God wants them to do in this life and, and wants them to accomplish for the cause of the gospel and for the name of Christ and for the glory of God, but yet they never accomplish any of that because they haven't learned the principles that Christ over these next few chapters are going to teach his disciples that he wants us to know. You know, we'll, 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 we'll boldly proclaim, I'll, I'll, I'll die for my faith, I'll die for Christ, and yet none of us, or I should say many of us struggle to even live for him on a regular basis because we're so consumed with ourself and who we are and, and making sure we're better than the next person. Listen, it doesn't matter what people think about us. It doesn't matter what the world's view about, is uh, of us. It matters what, who, who we are in Christ and who we are before God. And so Christ is trying them to, to get them to understand. Now I want you to notice here, look at with me we're in John chapter 13, verse 1. I want you to notice in verses 1 and 3 what he says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Notice, he knew that his hour was coming. And the Bible tells us that having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God. Listen, Jesus knew that his hour was come. All throughout the Gospel of John, we've seen him say, my hour is not yet come. My hour is not yet come. And now the Bible tells us his hour has come. You know, I think about, you know, a, a son or a daughter getting ready to go off, maybe to college or to move out of the house for the first time. And, you know, a parent, you know, saying, okay, let's give you some last-minute instructions, some last-minute, you know, uh, some things that you need to know and learn. Or, or maybe it's on the wedding day and uh, before the father walks the bride down the aisle and have that last conversation. Or, or maybe it's the night before the wedding day and and the son is there with the father and he's talking about, you know, some last-minute lessons about being a husband and maybe even being a father, being the the, the, the leader of the home and, and serving God and, and just giving them those last-minute instructions. It's like this last time. Now, it's, it's funny, like, you know, we act as if that's the last time we're ever going to see him. They're coming back to do their laundry next week. Like, let's be real. You know, they, they still have to come back to get a good meal. They're, they're, they're coming back. But, but Jesus knew. He knew that his time on earth with them personally, physically was up. And so I, I just want you to understand the importance of the importance of what Christ is trying to, in light of the knowledge that he possessed, what he wanted them to understand, what he wanted them to learn. And so the first illustration, the first lesson, he gets the, the towel and he takes off his outer garment, he gets the towel, he gets the basin, he gets the water, and then here in this passage he, he kneels down and he washes the disciples' feet. And there's three lessons, and I don't know that we'll get to all three of them today, but there's three lessons in these verses that Christ wants them to learn not just from what he's telling them but from his own actions before them father we thank you for your word this morning and and father i thank you for the wonderful illustration the wonderful example that jesus is to these disciples but to us as well and what i pray today we would get a hold of these truths that you want us to have in our heart and life and to exhibit as we live here in this world for you in jesus name we pray amen there's three lessons number one is going to be humility number one is going to be a lesson on holiness and number three is or number two is going to be a lesson on holiness number three is going to be a lesson on service so let's jump in number one we see a lesson on humility in verses one through five we just read those first three verses jesus knowing that his time has come up in verse four he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments took a towel girded himself After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Jesus acted on knowledge. He knew who he was. He knew why he came and he knew where he was about to go. And so understanding all of this and the circumstances, he acts in love. Now, love is an action word. And it's important now in life to tell people that we love them, but it's more important that we show that we love them. And I know in our world, we joke a lot, a lot of times, you know, I told you I love you 30 years ago. If it changed, I'll let you know or whatever. And, and some, some people like to say I love you a lot. And um, I, I, I'm a person that does that. And, um, you know, I, I think my father-in-law thought it was weird the first time I was on a phone call with him. And, and I said, hey, Greg, I love you. Have a good day. You know, it's like silence. On the other, like, 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 you know, it's just not normal uh, for a lot of people in life to, to say that. But um, it's just a normal. I'm a, I say I'm a lover and a hugger. And I say it and I hug people. And it's just, it's just who I am and um, how I've been, you know, come up and all those type of things. And sometimes it's easy just to say it, but it's difficult to, to show it. But, you know, contrary to that, it's easy to show people that we're annoyed, isn't it? It's easy to show people that we're mad or we're frustrated with them or it's easy to show people that we don't like something that they did or something that they said or maybe even that we don't like them personally. You know, it, it, isn't that funny in our flesh? It's just easy to, to let people know when we're not happy with something <clears throat> and, and by our actions and the way we treat them and things that we do, but it's a little more difficult sometimes to, to show people that we love them. Um, and so Jesus is the great example here of love in action now he does this through washing of their feet now uh, the custom of of feet washing when people would travel in that day the roads were dusty and so people would come to a home and there would be a servant that would wash their feet because they wore sandals they would take their sandals off and they would wash their feet and wash the dust off as they came into the house now in our story here in this situation uh this was a a borrowed room, and there was no servant to wash their feet, and, and this was just a private gathering of, of Jesus and, and these guys, and I think it's funny to, to notice here, um, you know, this was just a bunch of guys, and, and they walk in, and the picture that I get, and in, in my sanctified imagination here, is that these guys, they just walk in, and they just start eating, Um, And you know, because nobody washed their feet, they didn't wash each other's feet, and it was somewhere at the end of the meal or in the middle of the meal that Jesus got up and washed their feet. So in my imagination, I picture not only did they not wash their their feet, but for you moms, they probably didn't wash their hands either. And they just jumped right in, and here they are, and they're just eating and going along um, in this situation. Now, there's a lot more than just this meal that's going on here. Um, as you read some of the other gospels, you'll see that some of them are arguing during this time over who will be the greatest in the kingdom. But John, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, gives us his perspective and what God wants us to know here. But in the middle of this meal, the Bible says, Jesus gets up from the table. And he goes over and he gets the water, he gets the towel, and, and they all of a sudden realize what he's doing. He's taken off his outer, outer coat, he, he girds himself up there, and one by one, he begins to go around the table and he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. But I want you to notice here, the Bible is very clear that Satan has already put it in the heart of one Judas Iscariot who is going to betray him. Do You know, Jesus washed Judas' feet. And Jesus knew that he would be betrayed by, by Judas. And yet, and, and for many of us, we would consider him the enemy of Jesus, the enemy of God, and one that was going to betray him and ultimately um, be part of the cause of Jesus going to the cross. And yet Christ, in his full knowledge, bowed himself down and was willing to wash the feet, not only of his friends, not only of his disciples, but of one that would betray him as well. Who are we willing to serve who are, who, are, who are we willing to show the love of God towards? You know, the Bible talks a lot about loving your, your brethren and loving those. are. It's easy to love those that treat you with kindness. But we're, we're also to bless and to love those that curse us. Those that are considered our, our enemy. But so we, we get in our flesh and, and we act as if we have the right to retaliate. We have the right to correct a, a wrong. You know, we, we, we say, it's not fair, and it's just not right, and, and I'm going to have to get back at them. And, and listen, that is totally contrary to everything that the scripture teaches. And Jesus is making that evident here before us as he illustrates his love, not only for these disciples, but even for Judas himself. Now, the, the lesson here illustrates the humility of Jesus that we should learn from. And I I think this is a perfect picture or illustration of what we read in Philippians chapter two when the Bible tells us that Jesus left heaven and he emptied himself. He took on the form of of a servant and he was obedient to God even um, to the death on the cross. What a a living illustration of, of humility. But you know in Philippians chapter two it tells us this. Let this mind be in you. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That this humility and this love and this service, this is the mindset that we as Christians should have and how we should live our life. Paul tells us here in Philippians chapter two that this is the mind. Jesus is the great example. We act oftentimes as if we should be served. Listen to what Paul also wrote in 2 Corinthians 8. He says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. I need to give up. I need to give up my rights. I need to give up my benefits for the other, for the benefit of others. That's what Christ did, and that's the picture of the illustration here. I need to be willing to put my opinion aside for the sake and the benefit of others. First Peter chapter five verse five says, "Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace." To the humble, We know that the Bible teaches that pride is an abomination. Pride is an abomination to the Lord. And God urges us and challenges us and commands us to walk in humility. And Christ is the greatest example here. And many Christians today aren't being used of God because of their pride. It was Dwight L. Moody who said, You might be too big for God to use, but you can never be too small. what a a great statement. You might be too big for God to use. You might be sitting here today in your pride. Your life might be all about you. You might want people to serve you. God's never going to be able to use you in that mindset. But man, when we humble ourselves and we seek first to glorify God and to serve other people, we can do some great things. We can do some great things for the Lord. What a, what a beautiful picture uh, of humility here for Christ. When's the last time we were willing to humble ourselves so that God could receive the glory, so that God could receive the glory and that others, that we could serve others? Jesus is a, an amazing picture here of that humility. Then, number two, in verses six through 11, we see an illustration of, of holiness. He comes to to Peter, he's going around the table and he's he's washing the feet of the disciples and he comes to Peter and we have this interaction uh, between them and the interaction here teaches us some truths about Our relationship with God. And I believe the key there is found in in verse number 10 when he says, There, Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. We saw when Kevin read this just a few moments ago, Jesus comes to Peter and Peter says, Nay, it's not going to happen, Lord. You're never going to wash my feet. And he says to him, Listen, if you don't allow me to do this, then you you have no part of me. And Peter says, Okay, then, fine. Not just my feet, but my hands, my head, basically wash all of me because I want to have a part with you. And so when we come to to verse number 10, we see there are two Greek words translated for the word wash here in verse 10. The first word, wash, means to have a full bath. It means to have a full bath, and, and the second word means to just wash part of your body, or the illustration here of, of coming into a home. Maybe you were out in the bathhouse, and, and you took a bath, and then you had to walk from the bathhouse into the house, and, and while you were walking in, your feet got dirty, so when you got in the house, you had to just wash off, wash off your feet. Jesus is basically saying, if you've already had a bath, you only need then to wash your feet, When you get saved, you are spiritually cleansed or or washed. This is the washing of regeneration we see in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. And so if you're saved or you're born again, you've been washed or you have been regenerated. And then as we walk through this life as, as a Christian, we still deal with sin. And, and we still ha- we still get dirty from that perspective. We don't have to get born again or regenerated all over again. And I think this is so important. That's why we have 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 where he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness the truth is sin hinders our relationship with god god is grieved over our sin and and it hinders our fellowship with with God. We, we live in a day and age where people, you know, even as Christians, they, they think they can live however they want and do whatever they want and it's no big deal. But the reality is, is when we live contrary to God's word, when we live contrary to the truths of scripture and we live in sin, that, that hinders our fellowship with God. And, and, and that's the picture that Jesus is giving them. As you go through this life, you're gonna find, your, find times when, when your feet need to be washed. And you need to understand your relationship with God and need to be willing then to confess our sins. And it's a a picture here of our feet being washed. But you know, as as we think about that, this should be a normal practice of every Christian's life, the confession of sin. And and let me ask you a pointed question. When's the last time you confessed your sin? When's the last time you confessed your sin before God? I'm not talking about, being saved. Listen, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and turned from your sinfulness and received that gift of salvation by faith, then, then you're not a part of the family of God. I'm talking to people that have, a, have had their sins forgiven and have a relationship with God, and God is your heavenly Father, and, and heaven is your home when you leave this world. When's the last time, knowing that as we go through this life, let's be honest, we have all sinned. When's the last time we confess that sin? one of the big struggles we have in life for some reason is apologizing you know i i, I hate apologizing to my children I, I don't like doing it but guess what i've had to do it and listen if you've never apologized to your children you're probably doing them a disservice in life but i hate it i don't like it you know it's not easy for us as people to apologize we don't like to admit that we're wrong but the truth is we're wrong at times Listen, all of us should have had to apologize to some people, but, you know, our mindset is, bless God, I'm going to prove my point, and I'm not going to admit it even if I am, and I'm going to still, you know, just be me, and that they'll get over it. Those, those are terrible mindsets. Listen, when we wrong somebody, we should confess that, and we should apologize. You know what happens when we wrong people? That hinders our relationship. That's what we see in a lot of marriages today. Uh, you know, a husband hurts a wife. Okay, it's not that big of a deal today, but as you've done it for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, guess what? It all builds up, and because we were never willing to acknowledge that hurt and, and, and to apologize and to deal with that situation, the relationship was hindered. Now, it was hindered a little bit. It was hindered a little more, and then it was hindered a little more, and now there's this big fraction between them. And so what happens down the line is we just, we can't deal with it anymore. We separate because you're selfish and you're prideful and you're not willing to own up to your issues. And it's even worse, let's be honest, if one person is constantly apologizing and trying to work on it and the other one is so selfish they're not willing to do it. I've had to apologize to my wife. I've had to apologize to people in the church before. I've had to apologize to people in the community before. It's, it's a natural aspect of life, and yet we struggle, do you know what? We sin against God. We sin against God, and it hinders our relationship with Him. And we must be willing to confess our sin before Him so that our relationship is right. Listen, God knows. God knows that we hurt Him. God knows that we sinned against Him, that we grieve the Holy Spirit. God knows that in our life we need to be willing to own up to it ourselves. Well, it's not a big deal, well, it just, it was a wh- little white lie. You know, it, it, it's funny, you know, we, we get pulled over for running a stop sign and we get mad at the police. Like it's their fault that we did that. Like we're, we're mad and we want to fight them and we get upset with them. You know, w- w- we try to justify it in our mind. You know, we hurt our family members or our friends or we do something at work and we hurt somebody and we try to justify it in our mind. Listen, you can justify it all you want. If you're wrong, you're wrong. When we sin before God, there's no justification for it. There's no little white lie before God. There's there's no little sin before God. If we sinned, we sinned. And we need to be willing to confess it. And so Jesus is teaching Peter this illustration of holiness. First of all, you need to be washed. You need to have your sins forgiven. You need to be a part of the family of God. You need to have eternal life. And once you're saved, a normal aspect of your life as you live through this world and you, and you sin, you need to be willing then to confess that, confess that sin. And that should just be a normal way a normal way of life and a normal routine. Because guess what? Tomorrow it's gonna, you're gonna struggle again in our flesh and we need to be willing, willing to confess it. Now, when I say apologize and I say confess, you know, some people, they apologize and you know they don't mean it, right? Oh, I'm so sorry. Then why are you going to do it again tomorrow? I mean, you just said you're sorry yesterday. You don't mean it. You just want them to not have an attitude with you and not be upset with you, you know, and just to kind of gloss over things. And so tomorrow we're going to do it. Well, I just, it's who I am. No, if you're truly sorry, then you're going you're gonna to try, if you truly love the person, you truly care about them, you're truly sorry, you're going to do everything you can not to do it again. Listen, you might fail again, but you're going to do everything you can to, to not do it again. Listen, if we're truly sorry and we're confessing our sin before God, it's, like, it's not like we're going we're gonna to do everything we can to make sure we don't fall into that sin. You know, if you have, a, if you have an issue with alcoholism, it doesn't make sense to have alcohol in your home. If you have an issue with pornography, it doesn't make sense that you just get on the computer or the television all by yourself with no accountability. Like these are these are pretty big sins in the minds of in the mind of our world. You know, if you have an issue with lying, you're gonna have somebody to help you keep accountable. You're gonna put everything in place so that you can when you confess it and you say before God, you know, you're sorry and and you're really gonna desire not to do these things again. Now I'm not saying you're not gonna fall, you're not gonna struggle. But when we're truly sorry before God and grieved over our sin, then we, we want to work on it and we want to do it. We want to deal with that sin, not just say, well, I, you know, I, I know I, I confessed today, I'll just do it again tomorrow. That's not, that's not true confession before God. We want to be washed, we want to be clean, we want to make sure our relationship with God is right. What an illustration here that Jesus gives us. What an example Christ is of humility and then giving us this picture of holiness. Listen, if you're here today, if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, Christ, in just a few weeks we'll see it, but you've heard it. Christ went to the cross to die for your sin, to, to, to give you new life, spiritual life, and, and to give you a relationship with God. And when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're spiritually, you're made alive and your eternal home is in heaven, but you're still gonna have to deal with, with this world and the situation of this world and people here in this world and circumstances of life. And, and listen, for all of us that are sitting there that are Christians, we still struggle with sin and we need to be willing on a regular basis to make sure that we're confessing. We're confessing. You know, if you're, if you're a parent here today, you've probably told your, your child, Don't lie. The lie makes it worse, right? The lie is worse than the original sin or the original issue. Don't, don't try to lie to God. Deal with your sin. Don't, don't try to hide it. A lot of times we're like the little kid who got in the cookie jar and mom walks in and the kid's arm is behind their back, chocolate all over their face. Did you getting the cookies? No, ma'am. I'm respectful, no, ma'am what's behind your back? Nothing. That's kind of how we act with God, as if he doesn't see it, doesn't know it. Listen, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I, I, listen, a natural reaction in my life should be to confess my sin before him. It should grieve me that I've sinned against, against God. Jesus is a great example. Next week, we'll finish this section up and look at his example of, of service serving God and and serving others. But are you willing today to humble yourself? Listen, humble yourself knowing that you're a sinner, that you need a Savior. And you need to receive Jesus Christ by faith. And for those of us that are Christians, humble ourselves before God, willing to confess our sin, willing to to serve others, willing to put our rights aside for the glory of God and the benefit of, of other people. Jesus gave this great example of love through his action, willing to bow down. The the king of the universe, the creator of the world, the savior, who was going to go to the cross, was willing to bow down and wash the feet of his followers. Later, next week, we're going to see, guess what? The servant is not greater than the master. You call me Lord, you call me master. If I'm willing to do this, shouldn't you do that in your life? If Christ was willing to humble himself and go to the cross for us, shouldn't we be willing to humble ourselves and serve God and serve others?